This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, January 30th, 2020. I'm Nico, that's Adam, we're your hosts. Yes, we are. Talking about the movies of 1993. Mm-hmm. Class of 1993 here on the Movie Hall of Fame. But first, we both saw a movie recently. Yes, we did. And I told you to watch it because I needed your help. <laughs> I have been searching for scholarship on this particular film for the last week. Okay. Um, and I had really mixed feelings on it, and I really wanted to talk to somebody about it, so I am coming to you um, hat in hand, as right. it were. All right, cool. And asking for your help on this, because I need some help. Did you rewatch it? You didn't rewatch it? I did not rewatch okay. it. I did not get a chance yet. I feel like I've rewatched it because it's been living in my brain for the last week, oh, yeah. rent-free, as it were. As, it, as, you know, as a movie like that probably will yeah. stay in my head for a while. Yeah, I don't think there has been another movie this year that had the same effect on me. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's a measure of it being good. Maybe it's not. Uncut Gems is the only other movie that just sort of stuck in there, especially with that ending. Yeah. Uh, it's a hard movie to shake. Um, Waves is the other one. Um, I watched it, let's see, a week ago tonight, as a matter of fact. Um, and you watched it just last night, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I'm going to let you walk me through this because you seem to have a pretty strong reaction to it oh i loved it yeah i I loved it i really loved it and i i think my my notion or not my notion but my my stance is still there that i texted you last night i think it's my favorite film of 2019 wow Uh uh-huh yeah and that is really saying something because it's been an incredible year yeah i Um, agree why and be as specific as possible because again i need help (laughs) oh god it's it's hard to be like thoroughly specific but i'll try well let's not get into plot details right okay Okay, yeah no because i doubt anyone has seen this movie so we should probably not spoil it because it is pretty spoiler heavy i would say okay i mean i just love this story and I, i i i i don't know i've kind of been waiting for a movie like this that you know touches on i don't know i I like movies that tackle a subject of loss and how a family can cope with that but this movie's about so much more than just that it's sort of dealing with a lot of uh prevalent themes i mean i i love i love what i thought the movie was at the beginning versus what it became towards the end yeah there's a kind of a nice emotional arc in that way it's got a lot to say about the way parents treat millennial children which I thought was uh, uh, quite nice and uh-huh. quite accurate. And um, okay, you thought so. Mm, I know a lot of people like uh, um, Sterling K. Brown or Sterling the son. K. Sterling K. Brown and Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s character, and even the girl uh, who's played by Taylor Russell, who is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, there, there's, I thought there was a tre- tremendous amount of truth to what was going on here, and um, I, I thought the decision it makes halfway through was uh, uh, some, somewhat brilliant. It reminded brilliant. me... Brilliant. It reminded me of a better version of um, um, The Place Beyond the Pines or even Psycho, in a way. Um, I love that that notion and that level of vulnerability you get by the end of the film and how that makes perfect sense for the audience just as being a vessel into these characters and going through what they're going through. And trying to reconcile with everything that's just happened, and coming to an ending that I just find like like it's like the most satisfying ending I've seen since Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh wow! And you know how much I love that ending. I do. Uh, and I just thought it's a, it's a feat of direction and just filmmaking in general. It's kind, honestly, I I I like it more than what Sam Mendes accomplished in 
1917 in a lot of ways. Yeah. I'm sure you do too, but like... I, I certainly, yeah. But, but like, I was like absolutely floored by how how much he understood this material and and just how how, how musical it is and well, frenetic in the the editing and it's just and just the, the the choice of the shots too and how the camera has this weird floaty quality where you are you're almost just you're you're almost like a spirit with these characters yeah. floating in and out the way that it does but it's again there's just this wonderful sense of constant motion where even even when life feels like it has like an, an odd standstill, it just keeps going on. Like even when you're in the car, the, the, the camera's just doing these inter- interesting revolutions. Which... How in the world did they get those shots, by the way? <sighs> Do you know like technically what goes into that? So the movie opens mm-hmm. a, a little bit of background. Trey Edward Schultz directs. Um, same... I have more to say about him. Too. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a second. The director of It Comes at Night. Um, and the story again, without spoiling, revolves around a central moment in the middle of the movie that bifurcates it into two. Two movies. And yes, it is t- distinctly two movies, very much like Place Beyond the Pines. It's actually a really good uh, equivalent. Um, the first half revolves on a certain member of the family, and a second, the second half revolves on another member of the family. Um, those two stories flow together in a certain way, but they also are thematically about two very different things. Um, it opens up with a shot of Tyler, our hero, and his girlfriend, Honey? Does he call her Honey or Honey Bun or something, something like that? Something like that, yeah. I always want to say I, Honey Bunny, like Pulp Fiction, but it's yeah. not. Angel, maybe. <laughs> yeah. What was uh, her name, like Gina or something? I don't remember. Yeah, I forget. Uh, oh, Alexis. Alexis. Her name. Ale- okay. And they're in a car, and they're driving down the Florida freeway. This movie is set in Florida. And right away, you're in this like heavily saturated, colorful world and they're driving around windows down music blaring it's this song um by a group called animal collective called florida dada mm-hmm. um which is like an incredible song that i've been listening to on a loop for the last 7 days and the sh- the camera is situated in between the two of them in the driver's seat and the passenger passenger seat and it's revolving around itself but also like sort of pulling in and out as though like the front of the car is coming at you mm-hmm. so you have this weird anxiety going on <laughs> it, it almost i thought to myself oh shit this is going to end in a car wreck yep. right now i'm going to watch this car crash into the car in front of it uh, and horrible violence is about yep. to ensue how do you do that is the, <laughs> the is the camera i think it's on a techno dolly which just, uh-huh. just means that it's on this it, it it's it's this complicated man-made rig where you you put it on like a an electronic dolly track and it just kind of you know crank or dollies back and forth while and also spinning while around also spinning which you can control the camera and it's it i don't see any other way of really doing it yeah there's also instances where it racks focus to you know the outside world and then it comes back inside just to right. give you that constant reminder of you know like like i it had a weird like kind of perilous dreadful feeling that 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 everything outside was kind of always trying to get them in some weird way right and the whole thing is this anxiety inducing yeah. trip exactly um and even it, though the colors are so bright and it's warm and it's mm-hmm. supposed to be like a comforting movie about family you're always on the edge of your seat expecting something to go wrong it's very psychedelic in that way at times 
times. And uh, again, a lot of great art- artistic decisions in that way. And I, I don't know. I thought uh, <laughs> the the um, the aspect ratio change was interesting to me as well. Yeah, which I again I thought it was a a, a clever move. Yeah, uh, to 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 heighten that level of anxiety and 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 stress and just feeling like you can't get out of a certain situation and knowing exactly when to switch to the the wider ratio again you know it just a lot of a lot of those decisions just on an artistic and emotional level just made sense to me yeah so i was uh, trade word schultz is certainly doing a lot here yeah um and that was the first thing that hit me i'm watching the movie and i'm totally enraptured by it but then I'm thinking, is he doing too much? <laughs> is there a little too much style for the substance? And I actually came away from the movie thinking that, that although there is a lot of very touching stuff to say in the script, it's a little half-baked compared to the direction, which is just, as you said, the most lively work of direction I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, th- he's just doing so much here. Yeah. That's I, the difference between you and me, though, is that like a lot of, a lot of what comes through with the, the script, which is good... It's not. It's not. It's not a poor script at all. But, yeah. Uh, the storytelling is much better than the script. I would say. Yeah. But that's really all I care about when I go to see any movie. I don't need the script to be like this lively, snappy thing necessarily. That is, you know, beyond clever. It just, in in a lot of ways, it's telling a story that I'm very familiar with. It just needs to present those elements in a way that feels refreshing, and yeah. it certainly does that for me. So I don't mind necessarily if your direction is going to be a little heightened, a little more heightened than usual. Well, what I felt like during the movie, and I don't know if you felt the same way but i felt like i was being tricked and i felt like i was being manipulated and to a certain extent cinema is manipulation i think it's all manipulation i mean right like (laughs) like a horror movie uh, is supposed to fool you into a sense of security before the serial killer jumps out from behind the curtain and stabs you like that is in and of itself a manipulation and the audience signs up for that Mm -hmm. um i did feel Again, my head and my heart were on two different wavelengths, right? Like, I was viscerally really into it and really engaged the entire time. And then I started thinking about it a little more, and I thought, Ugh, has the movie really interrogated these themes in the way that I wanted them to, or in a way that is satisfying to me? Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, it's been a week, and I'm still not quite sure. What I do know is that the movie hasn't gone away, Um and I have been listening to this soundtrack, too. It's a good soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Incredible. So Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score. Yeah. Um, and they always just hit the ball out of the park with that. But this playlist, uh, <laughs> from the Kanye stuff to the Kendrick yeah. stuff, uh, to the Chance the Rapper stuff, and uh, to this group, Animal Collective, who I was not familiar with until last week, and now mm-hmm. I've been listening to them uh, like crazy on right. Spotify. Uh, they have the song Fireworks that's just incredible. Go check these guys out. They're like an indie band from like the late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, th- that was another thing where I'm like, all right, am I just into this because it's playing <laughs> the music that I listen to every day? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I-, I mean, I'm going to give you extra credit when you have a Life of Pablo album poster uh, <laughs> hanging up on your wall <laughs> and you're playing I Am a God from Yeezus. You're literally playing music from Yeezus in your film's climax. Like, I'm going to give you extra credit for that. <laughs> Didn't make any difference to me, and I still loved it. Yeah, uh, the, the soundtrack is just fucking amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also... Uh, the mo- I, I, I love the notion that the movie's sequel exists inside the film itself. That's oh, ki- yeah. That, that's kind of an interesting idea, because it is literally two stories. Yeah. And I love the notion... I love the confidence of, of Schultz to be like, this is the ending of this story, but in order to properly complement it and... F- 
finish it emotionally for me, I need to also tell this story. Right. Which is so ambitious and so different, and it's not something that I saw at all out of last year. And I I, I just love the, the fact that he was willing to do that and the fact that he pulled it off as well as he did, in my opinion. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, but then we have this climax. Mm-hmm. Um, and you describe it as brilliant. And uh, look, I'm not going to dispute you on that. <laughs> um, just to say... Um, that I was really torn by it. Mm -hmm. I was really, really torn by it. Um, First of all, didn't really hit me in the way that I wanted it to hit me. Which part? The moment. The the aspect ratio change. When that happened. uh, I I think, look, Trey Edward Schultz wanted me to feel something in that moment, and I kind of felt it, but then I also kind of felt like, fuck you, movie. Like, no. That this feels exploitative and manipulative, um, and not in the way that I want it to. Okay. Uh, and I'll be honest, I, I thought that, for example, the scene between Sterling K. Brown and his daughter while they're fishing, mm-hmm. or the scene between um, uh, Lucas Hedges and his father in the in the hospital room, like all that stuff was a much more satisfying emotional climax. That made me cry. Yeah. Oh, that stuff is really intense. This one kind of just felt like. Oh, you didn't see that coming. I'm going to shock you and not really say so much about society in the way that they had to set themselves up to to say something. You think so? Yeah. Mm, I, I don't. do. I don't. Okay. I don't. I didn't feel that way at all. I think it's just because I bought into it. I, I don't know. I you You need to... St- Stop getting on aspect ratio changes. I no, think. no, no, no. It really has nothing to do with the <laughs> It's got nothing to do with the aspect ratio changes. You're just talking about the choice. I'm talking that, about yeah. what the character does in that moment. Yeah. That's all I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. No, the aspect ratio change was fine. I didn't mind it. Yeah. Um, it, it's meant to illustrate a, a point of like, like, like eruption for a character like this, which is something, again, it's like, I don't know. I have to, I don't know. I've seen that. I've seen stuff like that happen to, to a lot of people. And no, it, you haven't. Yeah. I, ha- I haven't seen anybody die. <laughs> but, <laughs> don't spoil the movie, but yeah. But yeah, I've seen that happen. So no, I, and by the way, I have too. And a lot of that stuff rang true mm-hmm. until that one moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, and, and this was a criticism that I saw going into the movie that I rejected. Uh-huh. Um, this idea that Trey Edward Schultz is a white filmmaker who's making a movie about the disintegration of a black family mm-hmm. and how that experience should be uh, conveyed by a black filmmaker only. It actually made it a little better that he, he was able to tell the story, even though he's not, you know, black. But it wasn't really about specifically a black family. That was well, more insane. Okay, so that's what I thought, right? Yeah. And I, so I heard that criticism and I thought, oh. Well, that makes it sound like black people should only make movies about black people and white people should only make movies about white people. And that certainly doesn't sound right. Like, I don't think we should be segregating filmmaking. I think like a white person could tell a story about a black person and vice versa as long as they approach it with empathy. Right. Um, But then I saw the movie and it actually made more sense to me because that's not actually what they were saying. What specifically they were saying was a moment happens here that looks and smells a lot like cliche and looks and smells a lot like a stereotype about black men. And uh, he kind of hit that point home with a sledgehammer and not with a pickaxe. And I think there is something a little messy about that 
mm. how that was handled because he's playing around with tropes here. And I understand like what he's trying to say, but the um yeah, where the story goes, I've seen that in movies before. Yeah. Right? And when you've seen it in movies before, it's it, it always plays like a stereotype. And this I understand was kind of the point. But it also felt a little icky and gross and exploitative. I, that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it, dep- again. I think it just depends on where you're coming from in your life. I've never, I've I don't know. I've seen that uh, happen again. You haven't though. Yeah, I have. No, I'm no. I, I'm <laughs> I not. Have... I'm not talking about the breakdown. I'm talking about the consequences. Yeah. And it wasn't by... Okay, I'm a spoiler. (laughs) Yes, dude. Fast forward five minutes if you don't want to be spoiled on I have seen shit like this happen, and it's not... Time out. I don't know. Spoiler alert. You have seen a man in a fit of rage murder a woman by mistake. (laughs) No, I... I I had someone who um, got mad at his girl... White, by the way, Uh because I guess it matters. No, Uh, (laughs) we'll get to it in a second. A white kid who uh, got into a a fight with his girlfriend and ended up throwing her down some stairs, uh, like beating her face against a wall and shaving her head. And, you know... Didn't kill That's her. not what happened. Didn't here. kill her, but put her in the hospital. That's not what happened here. I know, but again, this is where I think you know. I guess our sensibilities differ. Where it's like it's a film, so it doesn't really bother me that it kind of goes there. I never get like upset if a film wants to take like that extra step, just because that's sort of the nature of film in general. If it goes a little more extreme, but again, that's not what happened here. Yeah, what happened here was a total accident mm-hmm. that is framed as the byproduct of of a domineering father. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. The Which movie, is fine. I'm, I, I don't know. And it's not just a domineering... felt like it was too much. I don't know. It's not just... I never got the sense that it was just a domineering father, though. That's well, that's I, a big part of it. It's a big part of it, but it's also just the fact that this kid is... It, like, everything that he valued in school has essentially gone away. The wrestling is... A, it, they spend a lot of time developing that. Yeah. And they also spend just maybe even more time developing his anxieties with his girlfriend in general. You know, it's it's there. There are three distinct elements that make me completely believe that he would go and accidentally do something like that. And again, the father is one of them. The wrestling is another. And the uh, the kid and the question of the abortion is another one. Yeah. And I think they spend an equal amount of time on all three of those. And they do. And all of that stuff is all well and good until they ratcheted up to this shocking moment. And just end everything there, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, and, and also like, you know, you're playing around with the stereotype of like the young black man who's in a fit of rage and that is put away in prison for the rest of his life. Mm. Again, like that felt a little felt more like really we're gonna go there. Eh, felt more incidental to me. If the if they it, but it wasn't incidental. It did though. It felt incidental completely. Race is a big part of this movie in a way. It's a real big part of this movie. Is it? Oh, certainly. I mean, there's the scene with Sterling K. Brown and his son when they're at the computer and, and he goes, listen, nobody in this world is going to give us anything. Yeah, but the kid's not even listening to him in that moment. It doesn't even because it, it, one of the things I loved about that scene in particular is it's a great example of an elder trying to give advice to someone. And then the young kid just completely disinterested and disconnected, which is, again, a very, very, very true idea. And I actually kind of love the fact that it said it's not it's like, Dad, it's not about racism. It's not about like where I am. It's not about the fact that you're you're you've given me all these opportunities. I just you know, I just need you to listen to what's going on with me. And it doesn't seem like anybody ever does in this movie. Not to him anyway, which is why that, no, I, that I, fit of rage makes perfect sense to me. In a lot of ways, I kind of related to it. 
Yes, until you get to the moment when murder is involved. <laughs> and But uh, that feels like such a... You don't have to tell that story in that way. And the fact that you did just screams of, of exploitation. It just screams like... I, I want to shock you with this moment. And I want to make the audience feel. So this is how I'm going to make them feel. Even though we're already feeling his struggle. It would it would have bothered me if I didn't feel like it was sort of the, the, the logical next step. Like, it, I don't know. It it's, didn't feel logical. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I felt like it was it was exactly where it was about to go. It wasn't like like a twist to me. Okay. And well, that, that's what it felt like to me. I guess that's the biggest difference. I was like, yeah, okay. I see. I see. Like... Is in a lot of it was just the the scene setup, and this goes along with to me Trey Bertrand just being very very great at laying the pieces out. It was like uh-huh. I thought he was going to kill somebody, you know. I right. thought he was because again at the point at which he was at, and I thought he was going to die. No, I thought it was I, actually where I thought it was going. I thought he was going to like barge into the room to the the friend that he, uh, she was saying was gay and kill that kid or something. You know, oh, I okay. thought somebody was going to die, not and not him. Yeah. So I guess that's why that moment didn't surprise me necessarily. I guess I was more surprised that it was her, but the notion that he would go and do that felt completely organic to me when it was happening. Okay. Maybe that's the difference. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't feel that way, and I also didn't feel like the movie presented it that way. I thought because it did. again, the movie doesn't present him as a as an assailant. It it presents him as. Just the victim of an accident. That's the point. And I mean, the the film pr- does present. I mean, visually, certainly presents it that way. Certainly, a lot of that is just due to the cinematography and the way it, it it tracks on him, and it doesn't leave him the entire time as if he's on some crazy mission. And then you got the the blue and red neon lights of that party, and the sort of stalking mentality that we get. It works perfect, and I don't know. It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I also have to I'm, s- I'm bothered by the argument that an overbearing father and <laughs> and no and a mistake pregnancy can push a a young kid who is well intentioned and who is a who is our hero and a really good kid into a killer and that's sort of the movie makes the argument like something like that can happen and I just feel like you have to do a little more work in order to get there mm-hmm. and and I I was really bothered by that twist but then there's another hour of this movie after with the the younger sister. And I'm just floored by it. I'm really, I'm just yeah. swept up. In a lot of ways, I like the second half more than the first. Yeah, Lucas Hedges is incredible in the movie, and his arc is incredible. Oh, very much a Trey Edward Soltz uh, surrogate, by the way. Yeah. Which is why I, I, I've, I've wanted to say this since we started, is that this is the third part of a Trey Edward Schultz, uh autobiography trilogy. Yeah. Have you seen all three of them? I haven't seen Cretia, but everything I've read about Cretia screams that it's of the same thing in his. Isn't his family mind. literally in that movie? He's in it too. Yeah. yeah, I think he like made it with his family. Yeah, I mean you have to understand about the guys that he's based a pretty much every single one of these movies on his relationship with his father. Yeah. So Cretia is is about uh, Schultz sort of coming to terms with who his father was as like a drug addict and an alcoholic, and then. The second one, which is It Comes at Night, he wrote as a response to his dad dying of pancreatic cancer, I believe. Okay. And just cancer. I don't know if it was pancreatic cancer, but it would make sense after seeing Waves. Yeah. And he wrote that, again, as a response to that. And essentially, it was his emotional and artistic way of getting it off his chest and sort of reconciling with what that meant and and trying to come to terms with the the regrets that he faced and his dad faced, which is why I completely disagree with you when you say that it's just a zombie apocalypse movie because it just never felt like that to me. Yeah. I mean, it's to me, it's so deeply a film 
about regret that I just I, I, I don't know I think it's just like palpable well with my problem characters. with that movie more so is that it writes checks that it can't cash and and that's I think my larger problem some of the promises it makes is, are can be a little frustrating and I understand that but I still think that ending is just deeply moving and satisfying and I felt like I understood exactly what he was saying in that moment yeah and again a lot of that just like dealing with like a loss and just <laughs> understanding how horrible of a thing regret can be mm. and, I, and I love that notion in that movie and then this one feels like his way of understanding all those things that he was just talking about before in those other movies and trying to find some kind of peace in the wake of a horrible loss right and I thought he kind of found that yeah. and I would be and I don't think he's going to make another another movie like those ever ever again. Yeah. So. Well, that's interesting because um, in that way, the two movies have something in common. Yeah. Um, they have scripts that are often morally ambiguous and um, very reliant on tone. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily scripts that jump off the page. Yep. I'd be interested to read this script. I heard like this script is actually pretty ambitious too in cool. its structure and interesting and yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, the guy is clearly a very visceral filmmaker yeah. that has a lot of feeling. Yeah. And and I, I heard actually an interview with him this week. Uh, he treats his scripts as sort of like these emotional exorcisms. That's what it feels like. Where he has all these thoughts in his brain and in his stomach, right? And he just has to regurgitate them and put them on the page yeah. as a way of like exercising demons. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt about it comes to right. This is just him thoroughly expressing himself. And yeah. I think that makes that movie very frustrating because again it leads you down a path where you think it's going to go somewhere and then it takes like a total 180 mm-hmm. and goes in a totally different direction and then you forgot about what route you were on to begin with and that's very frustrating for a movie like that. Um this movie is similar in that it's a big score and it's a big soundtrack and the visuals this is one of the most colorful movies yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is all just born out of his heart and yeah. his gut and he puts it on screen and it's messy. It's really messy and the script doesn't always make sense. And which is something interestingly I agree with. I would actually agree that it's messy, but it's one of the few occasions. It's, it's incredibly yeah, messy in both this and it comes at night where it's like sort of the messiness makes it more authentic to me. Well, that's how I felt about Waves, yeah. certainly, uh, which is why, man, that one moment I can't get over. Maybe one day I will. Uh, watch it again. No, watch it again. It just watch felt it like again. this Seriously. freewheeling thing Yeah, where we're in the back half of the movie and the sister is with Lucas Hedges and there's this mm-hmm. moment about the dad that's just brought up as an aside yeah. and Trey Edward Schultz just says, all right, let's go hang out with the dad for a half hour. We're just going to leave Florida. We're going to leave Sterling K. Brown and the mama. We're just going to go there. Yeah. And they go there, and he goes all in emotionally. All his chips are in the center, and uh, it works he because that's life, right? And I can't believe he gets away with that. Most movies wouldn't it's have It's so the, unfocused, yeah. Oh, they wouldn't have the courage, and they, they would understand. Like, there is no focus there. But again, it's like, I, I've never seen a movie get away with that as, as, as well as his movies have, at least, you know, from the, the previous two. I'm all in. I, yeah. I love It Comes at Night, and I love this. Yeah. Maybe even more so. I certainly liked it more than it comes at night. That's fine. Uh, yeah, this this could be an all-timer for me. I don't know. I have to watch it again. I think you're right. <laughs> I think one of the moments, and this is going to sound very, very weird, but where I... <laughs> I guess the, the film's charm, again, this is going to sound very weird, but uh-huh. I, one of the parts I knew where it's like, I do love this film, is the scene where uh uh Lucas Hedges and Taylor Russell are having sex. Oh, right. And how... It comes early? And he comes early, and it's... 
and he's so like awkward and embarrassed and she's just so like it's fine it's what it's whatever don't worry about it you were good and i'm just like this is such a such a real and and what would traditionally be a really like maybe comedic scene or awkward scene it's sweet yeah i found it like like innocent yeah <laughs> as, as crazy as that sounds there's a there's a wonderful genuine childlike innocence to that scene and i just like kind of i just love that i don't know the guy makes unbelievable choices by the way lucas yeah. hedges yeah <laughs> he's just killing it in all the great movies yeah uh and of course this is another a24 production so that level of quality goes without saying yeah. uh felt a lot like moonlight um yeah in that way uh i agree I, actually i think just stole a lot of the structural stuff from moonlight <laughs> in a way yeah. yeah and the visual palette it just felt very similar i think it's actually a better movie than moonlight though mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it's a it's a it's a real experience i guess that's that's what you can say about it it's a real visceral experience that i kind of wish i saw in the theater me too um and yeah there's a lot of truth and there's also a, a lot of um risk taken yep but look, I'm going to applaud the movie that takes the chances rather than playing it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gets the edge in that department for sure. Yep. Man, that middle scene, though. You're going to reconcile it for, for for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a messy movie. Maybe that's also part of the charm, too, is that it doesn't work 100% of the time for me. And that's okay mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have made that same choice. Yeah, that's fine. How long did we just talk about that movie? Half hour. It's a good movie. <laughs> It's stuck there, man. <laughs> it's, it's a good stuck. movie. That's one of the better film conversations we've had, I think. Listen to that score, by the way. Yes. That soundtrack yeah, yeah. is just crazy. <laughs> they, Frank Ocean dropping in there for a little while. <laughs> it's a great soundtrack. It really is. I was surprised by how much I liked it. I think this movie might get you into Kanye. I think it's possible. Maybe it's time to revisit uh, the, the, the Kanye uh, yeah. experience. In Your Wildest Dreams. Did you like the Kendrick song, at least, that they did when they were I don't in mind the, Kendrick the junkyard? I don't mind Kendrick Lamar. Backseat freestyle? Sure. <laughs> Wish the Eiffel Tower, or the, your dick was as big as the Eiffel Tower, so you could fuck the whole universe? My dick's already as big as the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, you wish. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get to the main event today, yeah. shall we? Mm-hmm. Class of 1993, your nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame are The Fugitive, Dazed and Confused, True Romance, Groundhog Day. I wrote Groundhog Hog on the sheet. I just realized that. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of feral hogs in, in this podcast. Going to have mm-hmm. to shoot them. Yeah. Uh, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. One of those six finding their way into the movie Hall of Fame within the next hour or so. Highest grossing movie of that year. Oh, funny enough, Super Mario Brothers. No, I'm kidding. It's what? Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jurassic Park was number one. Mrs. Doubtfire, number two. Just missed nominations. Uh, it was a drive by fruiting. Uh, <laughs> the, Sh- the Fugitive, number three. Schindler's List, number four. And Tom Cruise's The Firm at number five. Interesting. Real guilty pleasure of mine. The I'm firm. sure. Uh, best Picture, your nominees were The Remains of the Day, the piano, what a boring ass list. In the name of the father, the fugitive, and your winner, Schindler's List. Spielberg wins best director for that movie. Tom Hanks takes home his first of two back-to-back Oscars for Philadelphia. Holly Hunter wins best actress for the piano. Tommy Lee Jones wins best supporting actor for the fugitive. And Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin won for the piano? Mm-hmm. Best you, supporting actress. You didn't know that? 
I did not. Wow. Anna Paquin's an Oscar winner? Yeah, man. Does that bother you? I guess not. Bizarre. <laughs> it is bizarre. By the way, let me read you this list of Best Supporting Actor nominees. Tell me who you would have voted for. Uh, Jones and the Fugitive, Leo and What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Rafe Fiennes and Schindler's List, Malkovich in In the Line of Fire, and Pete Postlethwaite for In the Name of the Father. Who are you voting for? Uh, Pete Postlethwaite is really good in In the Name of the Father. He is really good. He's fucking awesome. I might have given it to him. Although, Tommy Lee Jones is awesome in The Fugitive. Do you think it's the the correct choice? No, no? I don't. <laughs> God. I mean, Leo one of those donuts with the sprinkles. Leo is great. It's my favorite Leo performance. So, see, I I actually think it's Rafe, and it's not close. You think so? I do. I think Rafe is fucking incredible in Schindler's List. Yeah, so why is the top done? I'm fucking freezing. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> uh, man, I had a ton of honorable mentions. This was a great year. And somehow I think this is the correct list, but let me give you some movies that we missed out on. Obviously, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, Hocus Pocus came out that oh, year. Oh, God. Uh, Gilbert Grape, we talked about. Falling Down, the Joel Schumacher movie, which I have not seen, but I'd like to get around to it eventually. Nightmare Before Christmas came cool. out that year. The Firm, The Sandlot, Oh, okay. Great trio of sports movies that came out that year. Ready? The Sandlot, Rudy, and Cool Runnings. <laughs> I've never seen Cool Runnings. Oh, so fun. I've never seen Cool Runnings. Great Disney flick. Check it out on Disney Plus. I think it's streaming. Yeah. I'll just keep watching Recess. Great show. Uh, a Bronx Tale came out that year? Oh, I like A Bronx Tale. Of course. Who doesn't? Yeah. The old move. Leave the uh, the passenger door locked. You got to do it, man. See if she leans over. You got to do it. I've tried it. <laughs> it's failed every time. Uh, <laughs> Poor Nico. <laughs> Works wonders for me. Yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah, but you're also too short to reach the lock. That's so the they're, problem. They're <laughs> and actually, they make you ride in the back so you're child-proofed in anyway. Well, they have the car seat and everything. It's, yeah. you know... It's really. It did, was, wasn't there actually a car seat when when Amanda picked us up last time? Yeah, didn't you sit in it? <laughs> I think Amanda said, "Get in the car seat." Should try it out. Uh, <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle <laughs> came out that year. Carlitos Way, a movie you like more than I do, but still good. Uh, this boy's life. Mm-hmm. That's De Niro and Leo. I believe their first on-screen collaboration. I haven't seen it. And soon to be reunited for the future Scorsese movie coming out, I think, next year. Is it the man in white cap? Yeah. Oh, the devil? They're they're doing that together? they're doing that. What? Oh, that's going to be so cool. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Leo, I'm, De Niro, I'm ex- Scorsese. I love that story. I'm really excited for that one. I would be excited for that story, but still. Let me make sure that I'm, I'm right about this. I can't believe we have a serial killer movie coming out that David Fincher is not directing. I'm upset. Are you excited for uh, friggin' uh, <laughs> Mank? Mank? Yeah, I am. That is a gr- I, I'm so happy he's doing a movie like that, too. That's exactly the type of movie I want him to make. Yep. Um, the Devil in the White City. Yep. Yes. Uh, an architect works to build up the, 19, uh, the 1893's World's Fair while a serial killer uses the fair to attract and kill women. Yep. Yeah, Mank is going to be dope, dude. Better be dope. It better be dope. So Fincher's dad wrote the script. Yep, a long time ago. And never got it made. And he's making it now because Netflix is letting him make it, and it's going to be in black and white. Yep. Say no more. Yep. Sign me up. I'm in. Gary Oldman, right? Gary Oldman. I don't know who's playing uh, Orson Welles. Or do I? Let me see if that's on IMDb. Oh, God. It's like like a well-known dude. Who the frick is playing Orson Welles? Seafried is in it. Um... Oh, uh, the guy from Only God Forgives is playing 
Orson Welles. What the hell's that guy's name? Tom Burke. Tom Burke. Yep, yep. Oh, he's in the souvenir from last year. Oh, he is. He's wonderful in the souvenir. Yeah, that guy's really good. All right. Yeah, apparently it's a great story too, right? Yeah. Cool. I'm excited. So am I. Um, the Good Son came out that year. Oh, Culkin. Oh boy. <laughs> Philadelphia came out that year. We didn't even like consider it for a nomination, right? I like Philadelphia. Yeah, I do too. I really like Philadelphia. Good old Jonathan uh, Demi. Yeah, Age of Innocence. That's mm. some Marty for you. Eh, have you seen that one? I've not. You would not. You would hate it. I know I would. You would hate it. I just wrote it down because it's Marty. Uh, you have not seen the uh, in the Line of Fire, have you? Clint and yeah, I've seen it. And Malkovich. Yep. Oh, have you? Yep. I really like that movie Me too. How's your day? Not bad. I'm planning to kill the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and the fugitive are like occupying the same space in my head. They're very similar. Yeah, I just like <laughs> I love that like plastic gun, just a little. Detail. Oh, it's awesome! Yeah, it's just a cool movie. Malkovich is great in it. He, he's he is great in that. I always forget about how good he is. Yeah, Pelican Brief came out that year. In the name of the Father, as we said, Last Action Hero, Searching for Bobby Fischer, which was, um. I think written and directed by Steve Zalian. Really? I think so. Okay. Really good movie. And Manhattan Murder Mystery. Woody. All right. Haven't seen that one. Awesome one. You got to do some more Woody. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm I'm always slacking. That being said, I've seen some that you have not, which is weird. That's true. Yeah, we, we overlap on the weird ones. Yeah. Uh, National Film Registry let three movies in. What are they? Jurassic Park. Correct. Dazed and Confused. <clears throat> Dazed and Confused is not in. <clears throat> well, Schindler's List. Yep. Uh, God, what the hell would be the other one? It's not Groundhog Day. It is Groundhog it Day. It is? It is Groundhog Day. Weird, but okay. Okay. Let's talk The Fugitive. Oh, The Fugitive. Directed by Andrew Davis, starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, and Celia Ward. Winner of Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee. I knew it was an elevated train. Uh, <laughs> nominated for Best... Big, big Dog is always right. <laughs> Junior, yeah, what are you doing? I'm thinking. Well, think me up a couple sprinkles. <laughs> well, those donuts with sprinkles with the sprinkles on top. Sprinkles on top. <laughs> I love the delivery. That's my favorite line of the movie, just because of his delivery. So Junior, what are you doing? <laughs> Knew it was an elevated train. Uh, nominated for best picture, best cinematography, best sound, best film editing, best sound editing, and best score. Dr. Richard Kimball, unjustly accused of murdering his wife, must find the real killer while being the target of a national manhunt led by a seasoned U.S. Marshal. You know, I was thinking about this. If I was around in 1993 and they're like, remember that TV show, The Fugitive? We're going to do it all over again with the one-armed man and everything, and we're just going to make it into a movie, Mm -hmm. and Harrison Ford's going to star in it, I would have been like... You heathens, stop exploiting the source material. (laughs) Yep. As much as we love complaining about uh, pre-existing IP and how Hollywood is remaking the same story and over and over again, The Fugitive is a remake, man, and it's a damn good one. Mm -hmm. And I would say it comes... I haven't seen all of The Fugitive, but I've seen a few episodes of the original series. It's a great show, but I think this is, uh, if not as good, superior in every way. All right. I've not seen the TV show, but this is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, isn't that weird? It's mine too. Yeah. And I'm looking at this list and I'm thinking it has no shot today. Which is upsetting, but like there are movies that, I mean, 
I like it more than uh, three films on this list. Okay. For sure. Okay. And this is like my ultimate sick day film. Yes. It's like a, a, an iconic sick day film for me where I just discovered it and I just loved every second of it. Yeah. And it is just so, it's a movie that's constantly on the move with some wonderful characters and it's just tense as hell. Yeah. And right when you think that it's all over for the guy, he finds a way and I just love that, which is again, kind of a trope, but they just do it so well and they're just playing into it greatly and it's such a satisfying end and I just, uh, there's not, there's not much about this film that I dislike. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is just an incredible action movie yeah. that you can't really point out a, a, a like a, a standout set piece in it. The dam is the, I guess the, yeah, I guess the damn. Did a Peter Pan right off this ledge here? (laughs) (laughs) That's Tommy Lee Jones. I guess, yeah, you could say the damn, but it's not, it's a very plain looking action movie. Oh God, there's nothing special about the way this movie looks at all. No, there isn't. And you're sort of conditioned to expect that, especially in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Jurassic Park is, I guess, technically an action movie. Well, actually, True Romance is a better example. That's an action movie that just visually pops. And it's like you can point to the James Gandolfini scene or you can point to the eggplant scene. Like these are standout tense moments. The Fugitive is just like a constant just go, 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 go Mm -hmm. road movie. Yeah. Um, And it is like shockingly rewatchable for a movie that doesn't have a lot of standout scenes. I just think it sort of flows together in a great way. It does. And a lot of it is just like the most charming good guys and bad guys, if that's what we ca- want to call them. Sure. And it's, again, and 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 oddly, like it kind of like like interesting mystery that goes on. Yeah. It's it's a very like involved story that gets a little more just complicated enough so that you're kind of like, oh, what's going to happen next? What is he going to find next? Like, I love him just kind of trying to figure out what actually happened. Yeah. And picking up the clues as he goes along. And I, I man, I just. I can't get enough of Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. He's incredible. We, we've we've talked about it like over and over and over again. But this, he's just so fucking awesome in this movie. But I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to sell. Um, I mean, Harrison Ford's good for what he needs. Oh, to Oh, sure do. he is. Yeah, but I, I'm trying to think of stuff that I dislike about this movie, <laughs> which I shouldn't because I love. I I just love this movie. But still, well, it's one of those movies too. I saw at the right age. I think. Yeah, and it's sort of beyond reproach because of that. It's always been in the top five or ten sort of like rewatchable movies for me. And I think early, as early as I can remember, it was in my top five. As soon as I started like mm. thinking about what my top five movies were, yeah. this one was on there. Just because I saw it at like age ten. Yeah. And I loved it, man. Because how can you not? I know. It's so odd, though, because it's not the kind of movie that I thought I would have loved as much as I did. Yeah. But I mean, just... Well, every- certainly not now. I think if I saw it now, I would like it a little bit less. Maybe. I don't know. I still watch it all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. There's a bit of me that wants to call it a perfect movie. Because, <laughs> again, there's so many things on on the surface that are kind of fighting against it. Yeah. But every scene, I can't imagine being longer or shorter. Right. Or the decisions being changed. And, I mean, I love this, this, everything about the scene with them on the bus to the train to him going to, like, the town hall or wherever it is he's in that big building right and, yeah with the tower yeah he's just like richard and you know yells downstairs just everything there oh it was the hospital you know oh I, sure yeah i just yeah i i don't know yeah something about it just wants me to call it sort of oddly perfect in, yeah in, in a quiet way i think the script is a little silly sure um i i don't think like you know this is this is citizen kane no but it's um 
effective for what it is. Um, and of that genre, like you can include all the Steven Seagal movies, yeah. which Andrew Davis directed a number of them. Yeah. You can put them all under the same umbrella of like late 80s, early 90s action movies. And it's this and Die Hard, I think, that sort of stand out, right? Mm-hmm. Movies like this, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Because a lot of them were paid by numbers, but this one, and I think it is on the backs of, of those performances, specifically Tommy Lee. Um, yeah, it's it's just super fun. Yes. And if you haven't seen The Fugitive, please see it. And then I look at this list, um, which is very strong. It's been an incredible year. And I look at our criteria mm-hmm. and what we're doing here, and it makes me rethink the whole thing. Because again, The Fugitive, one of my favorite movies ever yep. made, has no chance of getting in. Unfortunately. And that is uh, maybe a, uh, a demerit against this process. <laughs> it's like, it is to me probably the most fun movie on this list, at least for me personally. Okay. I have more fun with this movie than probably any of the I have other one ones. more answer. Yeah. But, but we'll get to that. It's just great, great craft. Again, like, it's not like reinventing the wheel at all but i mean it knows what it's doing and it just does it again pretty much flawlessly yeah great movie i didn't kill my wife i don't care (laughs) you find this man you find this man (sighs) poor harrison ford poor him indeed (laughs) dazed and confused boom 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 not that dazed and confused it's not no unfortunately they almost got it it's not even in the movie. One little woman never <laughs> bargained for you. <laughs> That's my favorite Zeppelin song. Is it? It is. It's a decent choice. Lots of people talking. What's my favorite Zeppelin? Few oh. of them know. Uh, boy. Soul of a woman was created below. I like Black Dog a lot. I don't know. That's that one's too silly for me. It is. I don't know. That's a good question. Hmm. It's just the best riff. You know what I listened to the other day that I did not? I actually realized I don't love this song was Cashmere. Not a huge. What? Not a huge Cashmere fan. What did you just say? Not a huge Cashmere <laughs> fan. Was like, it's one of the great rock riffs ever written. So what? It's like Paige's greatest work. So what? I don't like it. What do you mean, so what? That doesn't mean anything? No, it doesn't. I don't like it. <laughs> Watch. Um, it's Paige, Jack White. Oh, shoot. Who else was there? <laughs> Oh, shoot. There's a session that they do on YouTube. It's like an hour long. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Who else was in it? Keith Richards might have been there. I don't remember now. Yeah. But they just play each other's most famous riffs. Okay. And they just like talk about how these songs were written. And you just see Jack White and Jimmy Page playing Cashmere <laughs> on, on two electric guitars. Mm-hmm. And it's like, fuck yeah, dude. I'm sure it's pretty cool. <laughs> You don't like cashmere. That might be the craziest take I've ever heard you <laughs> deliver on this podcast. I like cashmere more than, uh, or no, no, no. I like good times, bad times more. I like, I, I mean, that could be one of my favorites. I really love that song. Uh, okay. Yeah. They really should have got this for this movie. Yeah. They tried. They yeah. failed. Yeah. I don't know how you name it. Dazed and confused. Did you don't get the song? I mean, it works. It makes sense for the movie, I guess, but still. Yeah, but it's such like a, an iconic and specific song. For the time, too. Yeah, I know. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Richard, uh, Richard Linklater writes and directs, stars a cavalcade mm. of future celebrities, including Adam Goldberg, Ben Affleck, Mila Jokovic, Parker Posey, and Matthew McConaughey, of course. All right, all right, all right. Mm-hmm. The Adventures of High School and Junior High Students on the last day of school in May 1976. At the time, the movie was 
sort of panned by critics. I don't think it had a bunch of negative reviews per se, but it certainly did bad at the box office and was not as appreciated as it is today. Quentin Tarantino in 2002 named it his 10th favorite movie of all time and has since sort of gained a cult status um, as being a hyper-specific and influential high school movie about a bunch of stoners just hanging out and doing things. Yep. And you don't really like this movie. (laughs) I didn't say that. I like this movie. I like this movie just fine. Okay. Just fine. I I should say I really like this movie. I do. And there's Uh there's a lot of things that I really, really like about it. There's just... I maybe I saw it at the wrong time. I saw it very late and um I sort of had that like that was a cool fun like like hangout sort of a movie which I uh, appreciated but there were many things that I thought it could have done better, I guess. Like uh I I mean if you're going to do a movie that seems like it's going for authenticity at least has that veneer of it like be authentic and it's just <laughs> that's not a, that's a big criticism it's not an accurate representation of high school at that period whatsoever so that's a big issue wait why How? It, it's what? not it's just not what lot, do you mean like what like everything aside from maybe like the way they are when they hang out but high school itself it's funny when i, I watch this with my parents <laughs> and they're just like what the fuck is going on and i'm just like what you didn't have this experience and they're like no like what like the hazing <laughs> the hazing is completely off and a lot of the 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 notions with the in a way the way t- freshmen are treated is is it's like this way i could describe it is that it takes like almost like an animated quality where it's like over the top where it's like that was kind of a thing but well the not to this extreme is, yes the bullying is definitely a big part of it yeah um i gotta imagine some of it was autobiographical though i don't think like this was just pulled out of nowhere like, I'm sure somebody had an, an experience like this in high school yes. in the 70s. I think I would actually call it the exception. I, 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 I don't huh. know. Well, I, I mean, look, I grew up in the 2010s, so I don't... It's very different from us. I'm not comparing it to yeah. us, but even from what I've heard, it's it's this is not at all what it was like. Okay. So, which is a little... I, again, I don't really care, but again, because there are semblances of those ideas. They just choose to throw it in there to make it a little more exciting, I suppose. Uh, and the other issue, and this is the bigger problem I have with it, because again, that other thing I can sort of forgive just for the movie experience. I don't find it funny at all. Okay. And, and it's like one, widely regarded as one of the great comedies, and I have never laughed at this movie. And I've seen it multiple times. I don't find it huh. funny even in the slightest. Well, I find McConaughey funny. Do you not? No. Huh. Well, okay. Uh, let's put it this way then. Um, there are not a ton of laugh lines no. in the script. There are not a ton of like joke jokes. But I would say the personas that these actors inhabit are funny constructions. Yeah. Now, maybe that's like in retrospect, just knowing what Matthew McConaughey ended up being. And (laughs) now you're watching him in this movie and he's doing the all right, all right, all right. That's true. And he's like this stoner in his early 20s that's still sleeping with high school students (laughs) and hanging around in arcades, even though he should have a job by now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that to me, I find hysterical. Yeah. Not necessarily. There's not necessarily a line or two that I can quote to you and say. This one destroyed me. When Adam Goldberg is in the car and he says to his friends, I want to dance, that destroyed me the first time I watched it. That is hilarious. Um, But I think most of the movie is more a comedic vibe than it is a series of jokes. But I don't think that's a bad thing. No. It it, it 
And it's not, it's not a series of jokes, which you're right about. It feels, uh, what's to describe this? And again, it, it's all, here's where the authenticity does work for me is that in terms of like capturing like a spirit, I suppose, yeah. of, of kind of bohemians, which is everything, everybody in this movie, right. that feels very real. So maybe, I guess that's kind of how I take it where it's like the spirit of adolescence in this time is, is sort of what makes the movie just sort of dance. I have a and, question and for move. you and be honest with me. Is this like your high school version of Nashville? No. You're okay. No. Because it's not boring. <laughs> so. But it's an ensemble cast. They smoke a lot of pot. No, but it I. moves around a lot. I'm more interested in this. I actually have like like a, a more solid perspective. I'm not kept a hundred feet away from every character in the movie. Uh-huh. So, you know. Nashville just sucks. <laughs> Nashville does not suck. <laughs> I like Nashville a lot, actually. That's okay. Um, Yeah, I, I, uh, I absolutely love this movie mm-hmm. I, I really do love it and i probably came to it a little later in life than i should have uh maybe if i saw it earlier like around the time tarantino saw it yeah. i would be just as in love with it um but, you know I, I i just think like i've seen a lot of movies that have mimicked this since particularly directed by richard Linklater and yeah. Noah bombach and stuff like that the sort of slice of life aimless wandering movie about kids just being kids mm-hmm. Uh, now that's like every other A twenty four movie. Yeah. Um, and, but then I'm, I'm sure it was revolutionary, and I love hanging out with these people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it rang true. I know you don't find a lot of this realistic, but man, I like spent a lot of time with friends just driving around in yeah. cars aimlessly in high school. I'm sure you had the same experience. Yeah. That the second your friend gets a license, what you do is you go out on a Friday night. And you can't go anywhere. You don't go to bars because you can't drink. Mm-hmm. And like, here's the thing. When you're like 17, there's no like social gathering you can go to. No. When you're 13, you can like do 13. Or you can go to the bowling alley or you can like, you know, your mom can drop you off at the movies and like you can ha- you can go to the mall when you're 13. And when you're 21, you can go to the bar. But from like 16 to 19, there's nowhere for you to go. Mm-hmm. So you just spend a lot of time in high school. You're in the car and you just start driving and you hope you find something. <laughs> and then inevitably at the end of the evening, you realize there's nowhere for us 17 year olds to go. Let's just go home. Yep. And that's what they do in this movie. They like search for a party at someone's house, but no one's parents will let them host. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go on to the next place. And then eventually you just end up at McDonald's and you have some fries and you leave. Yep. Um, yeah, that's high school. And like, there's no reason to glamorize it. (laughs) That's what they were going through. Mm -hmm. Um, and I find that to be totally endearing. And, um, I just love so many aspects of this movie and I love to revisit it. Sure. I like that at a certain point. I appreciate, I related to that element and a little bit of the, we're just going to have like a mile gathering in the woods kind of thing, which is a very real thing yeah of course high school specific the way they portray like high school like not not so much the extracurricular stuff high school itself didn't make any sense to me but uh is there that much school in the movie though there's a probably good half an hour okay so uh and then the rest of the movie is is much more entertaining again that that's once i get past that the hump of the, the first like 30 minutes where i'm just like no 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 uh a lot of it starts to move much better which is what i was kind of hinting at and even if it is a little ridiculous at times not all the time but um it i i i do i do enjoy watching these characters to see what they're gonna do and uh i yeah 
I like it. <laughs> I just I just don't love it. I don't okay. Love it. I just don't love Fair it. Fair enough. Have you seen Everybody Wants Some? No, apparently it's very good though. Yeah, it's like a spiritual sequel to yeah. Dazed and Confused, according to Linklater. Mm-hmm. I need to check that out. Let's move on, though. Yeah. The True Romance. Directed by the great Tony Scott. May God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Written by Quentin Tarantino. Is that it? Tino. Oh, okay. Um, listen to this cast for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just marvel at it. This Marvel. Uh, Christian Slater. Great. Patricia Arquette, who now is like entered the phase of her career where she's like a Hollywood icon. I don't know what's up with Arquette. She like wins all these awards. She wins all these awards. And oh, my God, she's the most preachy woman. I've ever heard. <laughs> you can't get OK. You can't get up to the stand on the Golden Globes. <laughs> And say what you're saying while simultaneously pouring out of your dress the way that she was. <laughs> I can't take anything it's you're like saying the, seriously. There's a uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. There was an episode this Sunday and he was confronted by his mailman, Larry, because I guess, I don't know, he lied about the mailman losing mail. Yeah. So he comes up to him, rings the bell, starts yelling at him. And it, Larry goes, next time you confront someone... Do it in pants, not shorts. And he just pans down and he's wearing these skimpy short shorts because he's a mailman. And like, that's how I feel about Patricia Arquette. Like, if you're gonna, like, make a plea to change the world, yeah, like, wear a blouse. Yeah. (laughs) Let me, like, take you seriously. Let me see you in a way that's, like, professional. (laughs) Right. I, I, I see what you mean. I was laughing my ass off. I was like, are you seriously making the speech while looking like that? Yeah. Well, that's Patricia Arquette, Alabama in this movie. Uh, We'll go on. Dennis Hopper. Incredible 10 minutes. Yes. Val Kilmer plays Elvis. Yeah, that's right. I think he's just credited as the mentor, though. He's not Elvis in it. He's awesome. Uh, Gary Oldman. Is White Boy Day? Someone tell me it's White Boy Day. One of my favorite Gary Oldman performances. (laughs) Bradley Pitt is in this movie. They credited him as Bradley Pitt? No, no, he's just Brad. I was like, what? Christopher Walken. Oh, that's right. You're a pot eggplant. You're a cantaloupe. (laughs) (laughs) James Cantalfini. Tony Soprano is in this movie. Mm -hmm. Sam Jackson is in it for like 10 seconds at the beginning. (laughs) And our boy, the greatest tweeter of all time, perhaps Michael Rappaport. Oh shit! Plays Clarence's buddy in this. That's right. Oh my god! What a cast! Holy shit! I didn't even know that. In Detroit, a lonely pop culture geek marries a call girl, steals cocaine from her pimp, and tries to sell it in Hollywood. Meanwhile, the owners of the cocaine, the mob, track them down in an attempt to reclaim it. Adam Hall, this is my favorite Tarantino script of all time. (laughs) Cool. It's my favorite Tarantino script. Script could be mine. I think if you were to put it in the pantheon of Tarantino movies, it's number three. Okay. He did um, not a Tarantino film technically, no. but definitely a Tarantino script. Holy shit, but is this a Tarantino spiritually script? Spiritually a very Tarantino script. Yes. Uh, I love this movie so much. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like I give it the short end of the stick because it's a Tony Scott movie and not a Tarantino movie. Um, I, I don't talk about how quotable this movie is enough. I don't talk about how well acted this movie is enough. I don't talk about how great Tony Scott does behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Scott is such an underrated filmmaker. I talk about him glowingly every once in a while. Uh, but he just directs the shit out of this thing. Yeah. 
Um, and the dialogue here is just so tasty, and it is delivered by some of the great character actors that have ever walked the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, to have Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken share those 10 minutes together, I don't think cinema gets any better than that. <laughs> nope. And uh, I don't know about you, but I put that scene in one of the, I don't know, maybe top five or 10 greatest movie scenes ever. No, that's one. It's, a, it's probably a favorite of mine as well. Think about I, how complicated that scene is, right? Yeah. It's not only this hilarious conversation about racial mm. stereotypes, yeah. right? It's not only that. It's also like an incredible exercise in motivation because you have Dennis Hopper who knows something that Walken doesn't know. Yeah. But Walken also sort of knows what Hopper knows. And Hopper has to convince Walken to let Clarence be, has to convince Walken that he doesn't know where Clarence is going. And then has to convince Walken to kill him while also getting under his skin. There's so much dynamics going on under the surface. And I just look at it and I think, man, Tarantino was on another one in the early 90s. Mm. This guy was just doing things. Think about it. It's Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, and Pulp Fiction three years in a row. Um, I don't know like how you can keep that creative output up and have it be at such a high level. Um, but this movie is just full of those scenes. And um, as a collection of scenes, again, I don't think you get much better than this movie. <laughs> yeah, I love this movie. Yeah. Of course I love this movie. What you know, um, Very surprised when I saw it, knowing that it was a Tarantino script directed by somebody else, because I don't think I'd ever seen a movie like that before. Yep. And it was blatantly obvious to me when watching it, because I think I... I I realized it was a Tarantino script before I actually looked it up. I was like, this has to be. Uh It has to be. But again, I had a similar response where it's like, there's just something so lively and joyous and wonderful about the the, the journey that these characters have. But again, just the individual scenes more than anything. Yes. You never forget the interactions with the uh, uh, Gary Oldman's character. Yeah. Or the interaction at at like the penthouse at the end with with the with the was he a movie producer? that character um i think he was the uh the uh paul what's his face uh oh shoot what's the actor's name what is that character saul rubinek saul rubinek lee donowitz is the name of the character yeah i think you're right yeah it was like a producer yeah and i love that you scene. fucked me right you he's, fucked me and he's like seething and like squeezing yeah i love the performances by these characters and even if it's um I'm not sure if I call it one of my favorite movies only because I've only seen it once. Okay. But it it is one of those movies that I think about every once in a while, especially in in regards to Tarantino. And I'm just like, I I do sort of, in a way, I consider it a a Tarantino film because of that. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, And I I also agree that the direction is, (laughs) one thing I admire about the film is its ability to understand the script as well. Yeah. I, I get worried when I see directors take on a, a, a screenplay that's traditionally by someone who will also direct said script, which is why uh, in the past, like when a Coen Brothers script has been adapted by someone else, it like never works. Never works. It's so specific. And I've always felt the same way about Tarantino, which is why I actually think the, the direction here is quite impressive because it's, it is a Tarantino film, but it's also a Tony Scott film. Uh-huh. And I love that. And that's kind of incredible to see. It's not something I thought you would ever get, but it's here and it's And first wonderful. of all, we're, we're never going to get that again. Obviously. But. Well, not the Tony Scott thing, but, <laughs> but obviously because he jumped off a bridge. Uh, no, with Tarantino, <laughs> he's never going to let anybody tackle no. his material again. No. His ego is just too large. But I almost wish he did. Me too. You know, like I almost wish 
he gave a script to a Matthew Vaughn or something mm-hmm. like yeah, somebody that has a feel for frenetic. How about this? You have a Tarantino script in a Ryan Johnson direction. That'd be good. It'd be awesome. Well, ooh. you know, mm-hmm. somebody that's similar to Tony Scott knows how to cut at the accurate pace and knows how to frame Tarantino's dialogue in that. Yes. Um, I just think it would be awesome, especially because now, look, I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as much as the next guy, actually more than the next guy. I was going to say, more than the next guy, I would say. Certainly. Um, But, you know, you found that movie to be meandering. If Tony Scott made that movie, it would not be meandering in any way. Um, No. And and I, I do wonder, although I love Tarantino's direction and basically everything he does, what a second pair of eyes would do to that script. I don't know. I certainly think that about... Like the hateful eight. Yes. Oh, that's a great example. That much, maybe more so than um, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Even though I'm sure there would have been a little more energy to. I don't want to see anyone else direct Once Upon a Time in but Hollywood. But that's the thing. Let me be clear. Yeah, I, I think if someone else directed it, it would lose a lot of the point of that movie. Of course, of course. Is as you know, as sub- sometimes critical of that movie as I can be. I I think it's very important that Tarantino directed that movie. He needed to have a movie like that in his in his um his filmography, so I'm happy about it in that way. But certainly, films like uh, yeah, um, um, Hateful Eight, where it's like uh, where Tarantino got a little too indulgent, and it's like I feel like someone would have reined it in a, a little bit better and oh yeah, and focused in on those details a little harder. Just shave an hour yeah. off of it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like no, a good director that understands the material can do that. Yes, exactly, uh, and that's a awesome script too hateful eight's an underrated script no i agree i agree and again and maybe just as complicated in a lot of ways oh yeah very complicated in terms of motivation and character just not again it's a perfect example of in my opinion of tarantino you know not getting out of his way yeah you know and i do also agree a second pair of eyes on a movie like that would have made it like really something special yeah you know um uh, True Romance is, you're 100% right, though, a perfect blend of these two guys and their sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a lot more action-packed than a, a usual Tarantino movie. I agree. Uh, it's not as chill and hangout as something like Pulp Fiction. No. Um, it, it's a lot of flashbang. Uh, there are great action set pieces. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the Gandolfini, Patricia Arquette hotel scene, mm-hmm. as uncomfortable and upsetting that thing is to watch is just thrilling action. Yeah. And it's set in one room and the camera doesn't move all that much, but it is just goddamn perfection. Yeah. And I, I'm talking about this movie more like a set of vignettes, I realize, than an actual cohesive movie, although I think it is a cohesive movie. Well, you um, remember it more as its vignettes than yes. the Because st- the story, I here's the thing. It's I, loose. I couldn't like tell you what what is what is true romance about. I'd be like, Oh, uh, well, a kid steals cocaine and they chase after him. Basically, that's it. Yeah, basically. And then Elvis is talking to him in his dreams. <laughs> I think you're still proving my point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is that when I describe this movie to people, I, it's more I guess lovers on the run, kind of. Uh, except you know, with with a Tarantino flair and a firm hand by Tony Scott, and it is just a. a fun and funny and explosive movie that I again I really should see more of like I said I've only seen the once but it is so incredibly rewatchable it's my favorite Tony Scott film and again I've only seen it once it holds up every time it's on TV yeah Um, because that's I think the definition of a rewatchable movie is one with a lot of great scenes great um, music by the way by Hans Zimmer 
Yes, Hans Zimmer did the score. That's right. Yep. I saw him perform part of the soundtrack at, uh, at uh, what was it, Foxwoods when yeah. I saw him live. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's got like this bouncy xylophone theme. It's very similar to the theme in Badlands. Okay. So it sort of, sort of takes inspiration from that, but it's, it's just as good. Yeah. Um, I love it so very much. If you haven't seen it, um, do yourself a favor and do so. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just watch like the Drexel scene or the eggplant scene. And... <laughs> yeah. Dude. The also, by the way, scene. Gary Oldman could never get away with wearing blackface today in a movie. No, well, he wasn't wearing blackface. <laughs> yes, he was. No, he wasn't. He was definitely wearing blackface in that scene. He had dreadlocks on. He was not wearing blackface, I can promise you. They didn't put any makeup on him? Well, they put makeup on all your actors. I think they put tattoos on him, on his face. They didn't put any black makeup on him? No, Nico. I think you're wrong about that. I think you're wrong about that. He's a black character in the script, isn't he? Or is he a white guy that thinks he's black? Is that the idea? That could be the thing. He is not playing a black man. Do That's we... not a black man? Well, 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 you say something nice about true romance while I look this up. Well, I, I was just going to say about that scene, like Oldman, <laughs> one of the reasons why Oldman is such a great actor is he finds this business to do with the lamp. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whose idea that was. Um, but like <laughs> movies don't have enough of that weird shit going yeah. on in the middle of dialogue. Like sometimes you just see a, a shot reverse shot of two characters sitting on a chair talking to each other. Uh, a movie can learn a lot of lessons from that scene and screenwriters can learn a lot from that scene of just a guy while he's uh, doing this offensive rant, just shoving a lamp into Christian Slater's face. What? I do love the scene. The only, I mean, when did Boogie Nights come out though? Cause it's 97. Okay. Okay. So, so, all right. So this came first. Yeah. It reminds me so much of the, uh, Alfred Molina scene. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> but that scene is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious in that. Oh, I love that movie. Anyway, that guy kind of looks black. I don't know though. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I want to know how that was written. I actually never looked into this. Oh my god! Look at his forearm, dude. He's not- <laughs> well, no, because Gary Oldman is not black, but in the movie they make him look black. This is him in the movie. This is a screenshot from the movie. He's not wearing blackface. <laughs> Why do you think he's wearing blackface? I I could have sworn he was. This is another one. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to look up the scene on YouTube oh, and let you God. watch it Maybe just for like two seconds. It must be the lighting in the scene or something. I don't know. I No, I, my impression was always that this is blackface. Nico, this is the second week in a row where you've said some questionably racist shit. I have not said... Stop it. <laughs> Listen to his voice, though. He's a We're pimp. Technically related. <laughs> we have a seat, boy. We have a sofa egg roll. We got everything here from a little eye joe to damn if I know. He's so good. <laughs> no thanks. That's not a black guy? <laughs> I know, ah. no, I know Gary Oldman is not white. I'm asking about the character. And Gary Oldman is white, rather. Nico, he is white in the movie. He's a white man who just sounds black. That's a, that's what he is. He's a pimp. He's a poser. He's a loser. He's trying to sound cool. Ready to negotiate. I get it. I'm still a mystery to you. But I know exactly where your white ass is coming from. See if I ask if you want some dinner, and you grab the egg roll and start to try to. I said to myself, this motherfucker, he's carrying on like he ain't got a care in the world, and who knows? <laughs> Maybe he don't. Maybe he don't. <laughs> Maybe this fool's. That's a black guy. 
Yes, it is, but he is a white guy. No, okay. So he's a white guy that thinks he's black. That's the idea yeah. of the character? Yes, 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 yes. Very well. <sighs> Why did we just go on this tangent? I always thought he was wearing blackface. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Groundhog Day. Oh, oh yeah, Groundhog Day. Um, directed by Harold Ramis. I didn't know uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was wearing whiteface in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I always thought he was wearing whiteface. Bill Murray stars with Andy McDowell and Chris Elliott. Again, we're talking about Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Um, Number 34 on AFI's all-time comedy list and number 8 on their all-time fantasy list. A weatherman finds himself inexplicably living the same day over and over again. Um, I think, Adam Hall. Mm. Oh, no. What are you going to say? Gun to my head. <laughs> this is the best movie of the year. Of all these? Gun to my head. Oh, God. I think if you asked me, what is your heart telling you? What do you want to induct? Obviously, like Schindler's List is technically the greater achievement. And I think the consensus is that is one of the great movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of like what it's trying to accomplish, I think it's Groundhog Day, mm. and I will allow you to rebut, I, I guess. don't love this movie. That is fucking insane to me. I, I really... It's that like, is insane. I like the movie a lot. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's very good. I was not ready for this. I've never loved this movie. What? Yeah. Yeah. That is shocking. Yeah. I thought we were going to be on the same page here. Wow. No, no. I've I've always saw it as like, that's a really good movie. Really, really good movie. And I'll throw it on every once in a while. But uh, yeah, I... Eh. <laughs> uh, Bill Murray is, is charming enough. Um, He's more than charming enough. Yeah, fine. Uh, at the, and the premise is... is one of the the more creative premises ever um brilliant i yeah. think and and well executed beyond that it feels like standard fare for me i'm stunned yeah yeah um okay well let's talk about this yeah <laughs> here's my argument yeah um it, this is one of the smartest comedies ever written I don't think that there is a, mm. a script for something that I think on the surface appears to be a pretty standard Bill Murray comedy. Uh, I don't think there's any precedent for a script that is this inventive and this smart and this insightful into human nature. Um, I really think thematically this is a pretty brilliant movie. And there's been a lot of writing about this and um, a lot of talk about like the religious implications. I think the like Catholic church named it one of the great religious movies of all time. Interesting. Buddhists really like it. Um, it's like a, like a real like unifying thing. I think like Christians see it as, uh, an allegory for the purgatory and Buddhists see it as, uh, uh, something about reincarnation and Jews see a lot of stuff in it as well. Um, and that's all well and good. And I think like all of those readings are valid. I just think like as a character study, the idea of putting a guy in the same day over and over again where his actions don't matter really and and nothing he does has any consequence 
um, watching him go through the stages of first just total chaos, mm-hmm. getting drunk, getting in car accidents, going after women, all that stuff, no care in the world, to total depression. I'm yep. going to kill myself, literally, and attempts killing himself yep. multiple times to acceptance and learning this really complicated, nuanced lesson about life, which is beauty is in repetition. Mm-hmm. And what's worth living for is the day-to-day stuff. It's not the, uh, you know, it's it's not traveling to Paris and seeing the Eiffel Tower. It's not taking a look at the Grand Canyon. It's not climbing Mount Everest. It's getting up, making a cup of coffee, and learning something and getting better every day. Yeah. Um, that's a real smart thing. <laughs> That's in it, but it's also something that you got to live a little bit of life to understand. I, I still think, like, it. Look, I'm 24. I'm not yep. gonna like say like I'm some sage, wise man that is you know <laughs> lived many years and now understands the secrets of life. But that's something I didn't understand as a child that I didn't understand even in like my early college years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just starting to learn that what makes life worth living is what happens tomorrow. Yeah, what happens this morning, it's not the adventures that I go on. No. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I haven't seen a lot of movies like this. The one movie that I think captures this point almost as well as Groundhog Day is this movie Patterson with Adam Driver and Jim Jaramouche directs mm-hmm. it. And it's about a free verse poet who, um, you know, just goes about his life every day. And it's similar to Groundhog Day. You see him go through the same routine. He drives a bus the same people get on that bus every day. He has the same conversations with those people. He gets lunch. He goes to the bar. He goes home. Repeat. And you watch this day play out maybe five or six times throughout the movie. And each day varies only in the slightest elements. And those little elements are what Adam Driver uses in his poetry. And it's this wonderful sort of statement on creativity where the best inspiration comes when you do the same thing over and over again and you're able to identify the small moments Mm -hmm. in this case bill murray learns how to live by taking piano lessons every day and attempting to save a homeless man's life and learning how to fall in love with his co-worker uh super subtle and super smart and super sophisticated fucking groundhog day man I wouldn't call it subtle Uh, oh i certainly would i certainly would no no it's pretty obvious to me uh, <laughs> you gotta give it more credit, man. No, it's a very good movie. I love all those things you just mentioned, especially those th- thematic details, which is wonderful. I, I the, the 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 character study element is what's most interesting to me. It's like if you put this person in the same scenario over and over and over and over again, how much is he really going to change? And doing it in a way that you know, it's I can't I can't be cynical about this movie because I completely buy his shift. It's like, yeah, you know what? If I were in his scenario, I'd probably be the exact same way. I can't be like, no, fuck, fuck that. I'd just be miserable for the rest of my life. It's like, no, if I'm forced to repeat the same day over and over and over again, I'm simply going to try to make the best of it at a certain point and go beyond what I thought but was actually But you would start, expected. I think, in the same way that he yes, started. Exactly. I, mean, I would def- I would try to fuck everything that moves. That's yep. the first thing I would do. <laughs> and then I would commit lots of crime. Yep. And I would, you know, do as many things as I can think of that in the real world would have consequences, but in this made up universe of mine have no consequences. Yeah. It makes like there's not like a like a like an incorrect choice here. Yeah. Is which is the thing, which is I, I I'm not coming down on this film very hard. I just try to explain why I'm not like thoroughly in love with it, you know. Uh-huh. I I don't I just the hmm. 
Maybe there's just something about the direction and the the general execution, which just makes me think that was a fine, fun-loving movie that teaches you a, a little bit about the human condition and the human spirit in a way that's you know pretty pretty you know nice and compelling. I just I've seen I think it. It's a little more than that. I've though, seen it. Bro. I've seen it a lot, and I'm just I I always come come out of it sort of the same way for me personally. There's a lot. Not to say that there's nothing going on. There's plenty going on. It's just. I, 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 I'm always struggling to describe my, my feelings about movies this way. It's just like, it just doesn't give me like enough. I don't know why. And, and maybe it's the style. Maybe it's the voice of uh, Harold Ramis. But, you know. Yeah, I think you think of it as a pretty standard 80s, 90s comedy. Maybe that's the issue. In the vein of Ghostbusters or whatever. Um, name another Harold Ramis movie. But... I don't see it that way at all. I really don't. I see it as something a lot more profound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe it's just I saw it really young for the yeah. first time and have revisited it a lot. And I don't like think of it in that same way. Yeah. You know, like I wasn't old enough to be cynical about Bill Murray movies. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Like I, I hadn't seen Caddyshack yet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or like, like, what about Bob? That kind right, of thing. Right, right. Because I think, which it, I think about, what about? I love what about Bob. But yeah, that is more what you're describing. I think a yeah. pretty charming, nice '90s comedy. Yeah, I think it's a little better than that. And I like what about Bob. Don't get me wrong. But like, again, I still kind of walk away w- with the movie with that similar level of emotional experience. Where even though I take away a lot of those great thematic ideas, I'm not like moved by them. Maybe the same way that you are. And again, maybe that's just Harold Ramis's voice and direction. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm, I don't want to discourage anybody from this movie. It's a really, really good movie. Yeah, is it? I, I'm not sure if I'm going to go as far to call it the best movie of the year. Uh, but yeah, like it's. I'm not. I guess in, in a way, it's my favorite movie of the year. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have a similar. I'm, I'm reading this as like your Predator. Hmm. That's a weird comparison, but yeah, maybe. But I see things in Predator that I feel like nobody else sees. Oh, okay. That, that's how I always describe my feelings towards Predator, where I'm always like, how do you not see the movie this way? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think maybe I do see it in that same way. I find it to be very contemplative, yeah. cerebral, almost drama. I mean, the movie does get dark. He tries killing himself multiple it be- times. It does become more of a drama. By the end of it, it's, yeah. I, don't, I don't see it as a comedy at all, and I like that shift. Yeah, you know, but that, it has to be that way for again the the journey of that character because that's what he's going through. Yeah, I also think Bill Murray is just flooring in it. Um, yes, I agree. I, I I think he's captivating because like he's an asshole at the beginning and he's still an asshole at the end, but he's just become a better version of that asshole. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Which is fine. Yeah, yeah, it's not like a light switch goes off. No. It is a subtle change that happens over. The course of this repetition, I think um, Ramus himself said it was like a thousand years or something. Yeah, that he lived over and over and over again, which is crazy. Uh, well, yeah, which is just another like whole thing to think about how long this loop was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think the idea that life is about learning mm-hmm. and life is about growing and it's about development and it's not about the big adventures; it's about the little changes that you can make every day is a really profound thing that that. Um, is certainly not covered enough in movies. No. It's a timeless idea. It's one of the smarter premises I think ever conceived. Yeah. And they pull it off. They pull it off. It's just, you know, for me, it's it only goes like so deep. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. Okay. I still really like the movie. I'm glad we nominated it. It should be nominated. Okay. So that's where I'm at. Let let me stop because I need to, I need to, um, uh, what's the phrase? Pee. 
I need to vacate the uh, vacate my my uh, urethra urethra my bladder. <laughs> yes, that's it. Go ahead. Going. Let it out. <laughs> We're back mm-hmm. onto the Steven Spielberg portion of the program uh, yet again. <laughs> Here we are again. Ugh. Well, I think this is just like a byproduct of this podcast and this process. Um, the movies that we highlight are the ones that we find most culturally significant and impactful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there is an American filmmaker that is more culturally significant than Steven Spielberg. He just no. makes movies yeah. that feel important. <laughs> well, at a, maybe at a specific point in time, or they, a lot of them are important. Oh, I don't even think it's a specific point in time. I think these movies like Indiana Jones, we just inducted yeah. last week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would feel important if it came out in 2008. Yeah, probably. You know? Yeah. And uh, I can certainly say the same about Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Let's talk about Jurassic Park first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Richard Attenborough, winner of Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, and Best Visual Effects at the Oscars. Went three for three in terms of its nominations. Number 35 on AFI's all-time thriller list, a pragmatic paleontologist visiting an almost complete theme park is tasked with protecting a couple of kids after a power failure causes the park's clone dinosaurs to run loose. Uh, I would say the most significant uh, CGI movie of all time. What would you say? Mm, Titanic? No. No? No. CGI. Significant. To my knowledge, yes. I think so, right? Because this had actually a big impact on George Lucas and basically him saying, yeah, I'm going to go and make the prequels now. It also had a big impact on Pixar. Yeah. uh, Yeah. CGI. No, this is the first movie to show CGI characters this way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say most important of all time. Me so too. there you go yeah, for yeah. impact. Um, here's my impression of the book. Have you read the book? No. Have you? No. Um, but I've talked to people that have read the book and I gather that it's a lot more cynical and a lot more satirical than the movie. Um, I'm under the impression that it's more of a breakdown of capitalism mm. and is a lot more bitter and a lot more violent. It is. And, I know that. Yeah. Yes. And is meant to uh, show how uh, our consumer tendencies are exploiting nature and abusing nature and uh, death and destruction is the only logical conclusion. <laughs> um, this movie is directed by Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg does not make cynical movies. He's incapable of making cynical movies. He has made a few. Rare. Name one. Uh, Munich. It's a little cynical. Um, yeah yeah I, I would say it is for him mm. okay. i would say it's pretty cynical <laughs> all right sure yeah maybe bridge of spies mm. yeah in a way yeah. in a way um okay in 1993 let's put it that way was not making <laughs> cynical movies no right um so he i think neutered a lot of that material yeah and I'm, that's not a value judgment that's just to say that he made a movie about Two adults that are not parents learning to become parents to mm-hmm. someone else's ch- children. Yeah. Um, and it's wonderful and it's majestic and it's uh, it's a visual marvel. And um, yep. I guess uh, I'm asking which version of this story you would have preferred. Oh, I mean, huh. it's a good question. I don't know. The capitalism thing. Uh, I I I'm not as interested in stuff like that, and I don't think it's nearly as uh, timeless, or at least it wouldn't have stuck in people's hearts as dearly as this one did. Mm. 
I I don't know. You're still you're still gonna get your fair amount of capital capitalism is bad stories, and they still make them. They don't stop, and I don't know. I I think it would have made this movie certainly less impactful, less special, and it would have gotten lost and everything else in a way. You know, yeah. aside from the visual effects, but that would have kept it going. But that would it would have been similar in the way that Avatar worked. There's a there is a smallness to the story that I love, and a and a and a level of of uh, personal humanity that just works so well for me. But at the same time, touching on how human beings tamper with nature in a way that's thoughtful and interesting, and and somewhat affecting when they when they stop the movie to actually discuss it, and it makes me kind of believe it. I mean, I, I've always sort of believed that, but in here, just showing it to me, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And again, at the heart of it, you still have what you just said, which was the, um, the, 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 the parental elements, yeah, which are actually, again, deeply effective. And I, I love the, the final note that that ends on and how it's not unspoken. It's just understood. Right. And after all that shit that they've just gone through, <laughs> they, they've come out better people. And it is a sweet story in that way. Uh, I, I, I think it earns that. It, I think you could have told the story in a way that's more cynical. Uh, I don't think you need to. Yeah. I'll say that. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, I think my point here is that this is one of the few movies that uh, Hollywoodizes the source material, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, me too. Um, and I'm actually not only okay with it, I think I prefer this. Me too. Um, you know, maybe if I read the book, I would feel differently. I don't know. But this movie is so sweet and heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Which is Spielberg movies in a weird way, even though it's like one of the most popular and iconic movies of all time. I was just going to say this. To me, when I think of the most iconic films ever, this is probably the first movie that comes. Yeah, to it's mind. probably like up there. But I still feel like when we talk about the great Spielberg movies, we list Jaws and Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's Raiders, E.T., and this one gets left out, and it's sort of like six or seven on the list. I think it's exclusively the story in a way, because a lot of people have sort of reflected on the story and discovered it's not perfect in that way. It's not the most well-written movie entirely. You could break apart sort of the plot machinations and, and criticize them here and there, which... Life I Finds a Way is a pretty great line, man. Yeah, it's a pretty it quotable oh movie. My God. Yeah, I agree. Welcome to Jurassic Park, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just think people, for I, for some reason, yeah, I don't know why, the internet got decided to get a little more critical of this movie. Yeah. I think so. Well, the sequels, I think, are a big part, maybe. Yeah. Even though I like Jurassic Park 2. I have a lot of interesting thoughts on the series in general. Yeah. I would love to just talk about the Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> but uh, I find three pretty reprehensible. Um, I find two to just have some awesome moments, even though I don't think it's perfect. Um, and Jurassic World, I pretty much despise. And I haven't seen the second one. Oh, God. So those are my opinions on that, I guess. Yeah, it's funny. After re- after seeing uh, Fallen Kingdom, it... it- validates Jurassic Park 3 in my head. As, oh, wow. It's like a fine movie. Oh, well, that's no good. That's crazy, right? But <laughs> that movie is ungood. Yeah, I think there are one and a half good Jurassic Park movies. I know. I think... That's my take. I think... Uh, Maybe there are two. No, I think uh, Lost World is a genuinely good movie. I think okay. it's one of the more underrated films ever, yeah. honestly, because people hate it. People don't like that movie. I, I think that's misguided. I just don't understand, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the scene where Julianne Moore is falling off the cliff oh, and God. the... 
rock hits the yeah. windshield and starts to shatter is just amazing. Oh, but there's more than that, though. I mean, the scene in the grass with the with the Velociraptors, and even even uh, the, the scene where they're trying to capture all the dinosaurs. I, I like the San Diego scene. I'm sorry, I, I do. I, no, it's not a bad movie. No, you're right about that. Um, yeah. Uh, I I do I am interested to see like why this movie gets kind of lost in the rough it's like it's still in there it's like one of the Spielberg movies but like why is this the one that's kind of lower I don't think anyone puts it in their top five though right it's it's in it's always in a top 10 but yeah Yeah. I I don't think I think it's in like that five to ten range which is a credit to Spielberg if any anybody else made this movie it would define their career but let me think about this because I go I go Jaws Raiders Schindler's List and then I go um, Saving Private Ryan then E.T. And then probably this, yeah. I mean, catch me if you can. You could make an argument for, I guess. I I know you don't like it, but I love Munich. I don't know if it's a close mic- encounters of the first kind. You could the third, third kind. Yeah. You could first the third kind. Of the first kind. <laughs> yeah, I I jumped I jumped <laughs> forward a little bit. It's the prequel. <laughs> it was really weird. No, they got to the first and second kind. <laughs> Just a man and a woman. Could you imagine two rom coms? No, could you imagine a sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind being Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind? Yeah. I'd be like, oh <laughs> God, no. Yeah, I guess Close Encounters. Maybe. Um, um you said you already said Catch Me If You Can. Um, oh boy, what else? What Minority else? Report. I love Minority Report. This is better than Minority Report. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's right. Um. Yeah, uh, the CGI I don't think has ever looked better. I got to be honest with you. Um, this is the most terrifying CGI creature I've ever seen in any movie. We have to talk about this, and it it pisses me off when I see so many uh, uh, modern uh, films get it wrong. Yeah. Honestly, the best CGI, there is a film that does it better, uh-huh. and it's The Lost World. Okay. There are shots in The Lost World, and I, I've said this before, where... The dinosaurs are so convincing looking that if I didn't know any better, I would think they're real. Yep. A lot of that is attributed to the way they're shot and the way they're lit and also the way they're fucking animated. Mm. A lot of things that the, the recent films in particular get so very wrong is that there's no weight to these creatures. Right. And the way they move is n- not understood i think right so i mean obviously so they it's they, like I, I always think of uh, what was the name of the the paper clip on microsoft word oh back God. In the day? <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> who just popped up and he was like this two-dimensional thing uh-huh. yeah you're right a lot of movies look like that where the creature it it doesn't look like they have any weight to them they're just like these free-flowing things oh god yeah you see that a lot in the hobbit movies holy shit oh yeah but it's it's too much flying that's the problem that's too. it like 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 bring it down you know it's it's movement is such an important thing with cgi creations i can't stress it enough yeah and again plenty of great detail on those modern creations but again as soon as they start moving i'm like nope it's fake right immediately one of the the marvel movies this is one of the big problems with the marvel oh movies, god yeah is that Everyone has a jetpack now. Mm-hmm. And so every creature is just, you know, like a flying power ball mm-hmm. that, that's just shooting lasers at each other. And you don't really get a sense of how they move in that space. No. It's funny. The, the best CGI I've seen of the modern era was actually in Shin Godzilla. Okay. Which is the most recent Japanese live action Japanese one. Because when I saw the trailers for that, I was like, holy shit, they're doing a guy in a suit again. And then I looked it up. I was like, nope. 
We'll be talking about that one soon. <laughs> that was an you, you. I got a feeling you're not going to like the way that that Godzilla moves. But okay. but the, again, one of the reasons I love how they conceptualize that is because they understood he is absolutely massive. Make him move very fucking slow. Right. And oh my god, is it effective? I've never seen a CGI creation feel that real. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, Jurassic Park gets that entirely right. Same the thing. first yeah. the first T Rex scene is horrifying. Um, the velociraptors in the kitchen mm. are even more horrifying. That scene is maybe the best scene in the movie. Yeah, I mean, we all love the T Rex paddock, of course, yeah. but like that that velociraptor scene really does rival it. I've, I mean, huh, palpable tension. The cat and mouse game there is incredible. This, um, the editing and the timing of all that. I mean, it still like gets my hands sweaty. Even Newman dying in the car. Yeah, like that <laughs> terrified me when I first saw the neck expand yeah. on the dinosaur. I remember that being really mm-hmm. scarring as oh, a child. Yeah. And a nice liberal use of animatronics as well to sell that as well. Yeah, that's great. It's it's just oh my god. Again, another movie where it's like a collection of scenes that's just like oh my god, this scene is awesome. This scene's awesome, and that's awesome. Yeah, that's it's funny. I think that's the quality of like a really like popular iconic movie that just kind of works. Yep, you know that that is what movies are, right? Just yeah. a collection of scenes. <laughs> well, literally, right? <laughs> Uh, iconic score Iconic look Iconic story Iconic franchise They're still making them today mm-hmm. Of course It's Jurassic Park um, I I would like to read That Michael Crichton novel Eventually And see what he was Going for there yeah. uh, Something tells me though That this was the Correct decision And why wouldn't it be Steven Spielberg Made that decision Of course um, he, did, he did a similar thing With Jaws apparently Okay So yeah Yeah but Jaws is More edgy than this I would say I, I think well yeah I, but I think the 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 book is even more like 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 uncomfortable where you just hate all the people. Okay. You don't really want to see anyone get out alive. Okay. I'd also like to stress that this movie score is the reason I think I know how to whistle. <laughs> I think you would have figured it out anyway. No. 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 <laughs> you could say that about a lot of things. Good but about anything. <laughs> but this is the movie that I would practice constantly. So yeah, there's that. It means nothing to anybody except me. <laughs> John Williams wrote two scores, by the way, in 1993. He won an Oscar, not for this one, but for Schindler's List. And that's the movie we're talking about next. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Liam Neeson, Ben Kingsley, and Ray Fiennes. As I said, I think he should have won the Oscar that year. Yeah. Uh, winner of Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score. Also nominated for Actor, Supporting Actor, Costume Design, Sound, and Makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, it is AFI's 13th best hero of all time, third most inspirational movie of all time, third greatest epic of all time, and eighth movie of all time. Only seven movies Whoa. better, according to the American oh. Film Institute. Okay. Uh, in German-occupied Poland during World War II, industrialist Oskar Schindler gradually becomes concerned for his Jewish workforce after witnessing their persecution by the Nazis. This movie has a reputation of being the best movie that you never want to see again. I... <laughs> um, Interesting. That is the reputation that it's been given, and I think a lot of people feel the same way about it. Um, I've seen this movie multiple times. I've seen this movie many times, actually. Yeah. Uh, I watch it when it's on TV a lot, and I don't think that description is fair. I don't think it is either. Because I think you watch it a second and third time, and you pick up on new stuff, and that ending um, is a, a tearjerker. This movie will bring a tear to your eye, no doubt about it. Um, multiple tears to your eye. I bawled like a baby the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. but it's still like a pick-me-up ending. I mean, there's yeah. it's disturbing, but it's 
still inspirational i would say oh right? i would absolutely say that this is one of the best movies i've ever seen in my life well, duh I love, yeah i, I don't think anyone has ever yeah. said otherwise <laughs> it's my, it is it is one of my favorites as well of, of spielberg's pantheon and again it's one of those like it's like i knew it when i saw it that i was seeing something really really special but i the thing is though it's an it's a movie that as soon as i had finished it i wanted to watch it again yeah so yeah i completely disagree when people say you don't ever want to see this movie again i'm like no, like I have actually turned this movie on if I have felt depressed. Yeah, right. As weird as that sounds, but it is so inspiring and so uplifting. And despite how uh, horrifying it can be, I think the film's general conceit is to really show you just the, the perseverance of the human spirit. And it is wonderful. Yeah. And it's, how a selfish man can change into a uh, yeah. not so selfish man. It's a movie that just gives you so much hope. You yeah. Know? No, it, re- it really, really does. And I, I, I oh my God, it's perfect. Um, it's 1993. We don't know all the stuff about Spielberg that we now know. Mm-hmm. Like when you hear in 2019, Spielberg is working on a historical drama about the Holocaust. Yep. You think, oh, Jesus again, again, <laughs> yeah. right? History lesson. Yeah. In 93, I guess we didn't have that foresight. No. I mean, I guess we could have seen Empire of the Sun and I, been bored with it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's... Mm. Snoozer. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, maybe we saw that and we heard about this idea and we thought, oh, no, this is going to be homework. It's shot in black and white, whatever. Um, But this really is just Spielberg working at the top of his craft. Yes. And I'm not sure any movie has ever been this well directed. Mm -hmm. I think I would put it in the top five directing jobs ever. And maybe not just movies, but I mean, put it up there with maybe Vertigo with what Orson Welles is doing in Citizen Kane, what Coppola is doing in The Godfather, um, the use of handheld photography, the use of black and white, um, the score, the way these actors perform and the look of this world, yep. uh, the use of color, the saturation of, of all of these shots. Uh, this is just top of the top of the league here. Mm-hmm. This is just really A plus A plus stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's something I would point to if you ever showed Steven Spielberg skepticism, which I have, you know, we all have, yep. you know, we all had to sit through the adventures of Tintin and <laughs> <laughs> look, we, we all feel this a similar way about him in 2019 and 2020, but just look at this. This is as good as filmmaking gets, right? Yeah. It's a, you can't dock Spielberg. I love it when people say like, who's better Scorsese or Spielberg and people have an immediate answer. And I'm like, how do you have right. an immediate answer? That's a, you know what? That's a great point. Really bothers me because people clearly aren't thinking about what that question really means. That's a great point. You know? Yeah. Because so, this movie, yeah, it could be one of the most incredible feats of direction. Honestly, it really could. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> honestly, in a funny way, though, I, I, I think Jaws is, is up there, too. And it's another okay. Spielberg film where I just think you don't get much better direction than Jaws. I think when you're looking at thrillers, you, you I mean, you have to count a lot of um, of Hitchcock in there as well. Sure. It takes a lot of time and attention to detail to make those things work. And but again, it's 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 so much more than that here because he's he's doing a little bit of that here and there in certain scenes. Oh, I mean, certainly in the in the cleaning out of the ghettos, which is oh, my God, it's such a horrible scene. Yeah. Um, but the 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 editing and the timing of everything and just the, getting the reactions of the people as they're hiding in their fucking pianos yeah it's terrible and then you intercut that with a scene of a nazi trying to relax by playing bach or something or mozart on the on the piano as well it's 
terrible, but it's there's nothing wrong technically with that scene. And every time he chooses to go handheld, it's appropriate and yep. it's exactly what the scene needs. Every time he chooses to calm down and just let Oscar Schindler sit there and, and mourn with his cigarette is perfect. Or when there's no dialogue whatsoever. One of my favorite things about this movie is just how it just lets you sit with understanding who Oscar Schindler is mm. in that opening scene where it just kind of pans around him and he just kind of assesses everyone in the room to essentially take advantage of them. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's who this guy is. And oh, that's how he's going to use those talents to like save uh, like how like how many people did he end up? 900 or something, right? I think it was like over a thousand people. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And to go from that to that and seeing uh, Liam Neeson in that scene breaks me every single time. Yeah, I don't know how a guy had these two movies in him in the same calendar year. <laughs> and this is the thing that like <laughs> shocks me whenever I see it. I, I've, I've said it about Villeneuve before, and I certainly say that about Spielberg. Where it's like, how do you make Jurassic Park and then you go to make fucking Schindler's List. How does this how, not break you? I don't understand that. I cannot physically wrap my head around how that's even possible. Yeah. Seriously. He, he, okay, fun fact. Um, Spielberg shot uh, Jurassic Park, left one scene to George Lucas, because he was like, it's going to be a hit. I just know it. It's going to be a hit. You direct the last scene. <laughs> I didn't know that story. Fun fact. That's yep. funny. Yep. Yeah, and so, I, I, hey, I got another movie to make in Poland. Sorry. Yep, exactly. That's Peace. It. Yep. <laughs> I got to go make a three-hour epic about the Holocaust <laughs> yep. and change cinema forever. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it twice in one year. Yep. Uh, yeah. Crazy, man. I, I will never have that in me. Uh, dude, I can't, like, you know... Jeez, I, I can't watch three episodes of a Netflix show without getting exhausted <laughs> in a single day. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I make one meal, it exhausts me. I can't make two in one day. I've been this guy's do- making two of the great American films ever in the same year. I've been doing this uh, music video with my brother, and uh, we've done. We've only successfully been able to do two setups a night. I know! <laughs> no, it's so exhausting! <laughs> That's it. It's How does this tough. not break you? <laughs> Dude, I can't record a podcast in a day, and then I, I do a podcast and I'm done. I did 45 minutes in front of the microphone and I need a nap. You, could you think about how often Spielberg was on his feet? Yes. Throughout the, this like 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 two years of a process to yes. make these movies. Yes. He must have lost so much fucking weight. Back to back. Uh, you make them back to back? It's, it's crazy. I honestly don't want his job in this scenario. I don't care if I'm yes. going to make the greatest films ever made. That must have been so hard on well, him. Well, luckily you and I are oh not capable of this. <laughs> We're never going to make Schindler's List. Yeah, you're right. Uh <laughs> And I, I also want to shout out the performers. I think Ray Fiennes is one of the great movie villains ever. And I think yes, he, yes, I agree. He, he doesn't get talked about enough. He's incredible. I think he's the standout performance in the mm-hmm. movie. But uh, Ben Kingsley as Stern is um, such a lovable little sidekick. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens to him is heartbreaking. And uh, you know, I know he's become Mister Taken. But my God, there was a point in time where Liam could have been one of the great Hollywood leading men. Mm-hmm. And I guess he still achieved that in a different way, didn't he? He did, yeah. <laughs> Which I guess he's fine with. Yeah. You know. He did this, and then he was Qui-Gon Jinn. Yep. Uh, the girl in the red ja- uh, jacket is uh, just an incredibly clever invention. Um, and it's just like, man, how did I not think of that? I know. You know? I know. It's one of those things, everyone thinks they could have thought of it, but only one person really could have thought of it. And uh, it's brilliant. There is, uh, there are but, 
two detractors, prominent detractors from this movie. Okay. And Terry Gilliam and, and Stanley Kubrick. Really? And I don't think Stanley Kubrick doesn't dislike this mo- movie, but he has one qualm with it. Terry Gilliam straight up because of this qualm dislikes the movie, That's weird. which annoys the shit out of me because Spielberg or Kubrick's been like, it's great, but I think it's a little odd that it's a movie about the Holocaust and it's about success when the Holocaust was about failure. And, uh, Terry Gilliam took that and fucking ran with it. And it really bothers me because I've always been like, okay, that's, that's a fine point to make. It's an interesting idea. But at the same time, it's like, because the Holocaust is traditionally about failure, isn't it more interesting to tell one of its stories of success? Sure. But I also wouldn't call it a success story, Not, though. That's the other thing. It's I like, mean, the final <laughs> scene in the movie is him saying, I could have saved one more. This yes. pin could have saved one more. Yes, exactly. I, it, so it's about the regret of, of how much life was lost yeah, and how the success could have been more successful. Exactly. Yeah, so I kind of disagree with that analysis. I don't think that's 100% right. No, I don't agree with it at all either. Yeah, that that's painting painting too fine of a point for me to agree with it. So yeah, um, anything else you'd like to say about this, dude? What is there to say about Schindler's List that hasn't been said already? I think there's only one thing to say. What? And that I don't know if you agree with me. It deserves a spot in the movie Hall of Fame. Uh, I think we shouldn't duck cats right now. Okay, <laughs> cats over Schindler's List. I don't care if it came out in 2019. Cats is the better movie. <laughs> Congratulations to Tom Hooper's cats. <laughs> uh, Schindler's List, yeah? Schindler's List, of course. Oh, there it is. Of course. Into the movie. Oh. A fame! And guess what? What? No more Spielberg. Yeah, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done with it. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be rid of him. We promise. <laughs> we promise. We're done. That, that is it. We're inducting no more Spielberg films. I mean, I don't know... Uh, what's came out the same year as Munich? Because I understand that was a bad year, and that's like one of the better films of that year. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. Okay, okay. we're not putting it in. All right, it's fine. Um, I have to get going. So, what are we uh, talking about next week? Give me a year. We didn't plan this. Oh shit! Okay. Give me something from the seventies. <laughs> uh, ooh, ooh. Uh, let's do uh seventy three. Okay. Let's do a quick little. Google search on... This is a good year, actually. 1973. Okey-doke. I'll go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> Serpico. Okay. You know, I need to rewatch Serpico. Okay. It's one of those movies I never finish when I watch it. Uh, the Exorcist. Uh okay, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Uh let's do Mean Streets. Good choice. American graffiti, of course. Alright, I'll do the sting. Do you want to do the sting? Yes. Okay. And oh boy. Oh my god. This is tough. Have you seen Don't Look Now? Yeah. Oh, Don't Look Now's on here? Yeah. Fuck! I've oh never my. seen it. Oh, don't look You got Badlands too though. Oh man, what do I want to do? You get to make me watch one of those. Oh shit. I love Paper Moon. And I adore Paper Moon. Paper Moon is great. Uh, I love Paper Moon. Paper Moon is great. That's uh, one of David Fincher's favorite movies. Good year. Shit. Uh don't What am I gonna Enter do? the Dragon came out? I know. You've not seen Badlands either though. No. You have not liked this. I mean, you can movie. change American Graffiti if you if you'd like. Because I've seen that too, uh, but I haven't. Seen, I haven't seen Enter the Dragon. I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen Badlands. How, how and can I haven't you not seen... talk about American Graffiti? 
I don't know. I, it's up to you. I don't care. Shit. I'm just saying if you want me to watch some new ones. We, we well. That would be a way to do it. We could induct American Graffiti technically, though. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, you could. Yeah? You could. I mean, I don't. Papillon? Fuck, I love Papillon. Okay, if we can agree right now that we'll talk about American Graffiti, but we'll admit that. Uh, fuck. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, I don't care. Duh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Because <sighs> I don't think you'll like Don't Look Now. Uh, but okay. I, but at the same time, I don't want to. I love Badlands. I don't really care to talk about it. Hurry up. I have people waiting for me outside. <sighs> don't Look Now. Fuck it. Okay. Fuck it. You don't want Badlands. You'll see Badlands eventually. We're sticking with American Graffiti. Don't Look Now is a much more interesting conversation. Okay. Much more interesting. All right. We'll do that next week. 1973. That's it. Okay. Anything else? Nope. Good. I got to go. Okay. Love you also very, very much. And until next time. Come here.